like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And uh, on today's show, we're out a little bit early at 5.30. Westwood won coverage in the national championship taking over. David Lesky going to talk Royals with us. Bad first weekend. <laughs> we'll uh, talk with him about that at 3.40. We've got Case of the Mondays at 4.05. Final four talk throughout the show. And we've also got some uh, audio from Sean Snyder and Brandon Schneider. Snyder, Schneider, whichever way you pronounce it. It's taking over. It is taking over the town (laughs) here in Lawrence. And that's kind of where we begin the show. The KU women's basketball team wins the women's NIT on Saturday. Taking down Columbia. They're down at at the end of the first quarter. It was kind of a... An ugly game, so to speak. Neither yeah. neither offense really got it going. Both teams missed some good looks from the outside, but both teams played really good defense also to kind of add to that ugliness. And uh, both teams shot in the low 30% for the game. Um, neither team really got it going from three-point range. It was, yeah, just not really a great shooting game. But you saw the KU defense take over again for really the second straight game. You know, the Washington game, they weren't great on offense either. They scored 61 points, but the defense stifled Washington. Diana Jackson inside and uh, kind of limiting everything at the rim, and then KU doing a good job on the glass, and and everybody just picking it up from around there. That was kind of the same case with the Columbia game. Yeah, you look at what Kansas did defensively throughout the tournament. In their very first game against Western Kentucky, they gave up 72. Besides that game, they gave up 64 or less or 60 or less in the in rest of their games. They give up 64 to Arkansas. Every other game, they give up 59 or less defensively. So that was kind of the theme of them making their run through the tournament was just being pretty dominant defensively. And uh, Washington shot under 25% in the Fab Four game. So some really excellent defense from Kansas, and that proved to be the difference again in a game against Columbia. And Tyana Jackson specifically was fantastic. She came back from an injury, finished the game with 21 rebounds, just an incredible performance, and for Kansas, we talked about it, right? In a season where maybe you might felt a little bit disappointed in not making not making the NCAA tournament, but to to use that to not let that kind of get you down for the rest of the season and to power through and, and eventually come away as WNIT champions is is really exciting, and it was really cool to see the the fan base also getting involved as well because the fans really showed up. Allen Fieldhouse really came alive for for them, which was great to see and. Uh, a really exciting way to end the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anytime you win something, anytime you win a trophy, you know if you're playing in something, you might as what well is, win it. What does Bill Self say? Yeah, if you're playing in, if you're playing in it, you might as well win it. Um, so, you know, it, it was cool to see and, and the positive momentum that can do. The the one thing that you don't get from an NCAA tournament that, and, and I'm not trying to argue that you'd rather you know be in the NIT than the NCAA tournament. That's not at all what what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But the, uh, one of the positives you can get out of this and you know if you're in the situation you might as well look for the positives is that in an NCAA tournament assuming Kansas wasn't one of the higher seeds to host in the first couple of rounds which they wouldn't have been if they would have got in it would have been you know a 9 10 11 seed to where 
you wouldn't have been hosting games. And the, 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 the momentum that I wonder that they created over the part of this NIT where they hosted every single round, the athletic department put in bids every single round for them to host and supported the program. And you saw growing crowds continuously. You saw over 7,000 from the semifinal game. You saw almost 12,000 for the final game. The momentum that that can bring, I think, for a program and for a community to you know, start supporting that program more, start going to more games, I think that could be a real big positive in the next season. Oh, absolutely. There's no there's no question about it. I mean, yeah, you would have liked to have been in the NCAA tournament, but absolutely, I think there's there's definitely a lot of positive momentum associated with that. And and this was a team that that really rallied in the NIT, right? They again they they could have they could have just kind of said, Oh, you know, we didn't make the NCAA tournament, that was our goal, and just kind of, you know, poo poo the rest of the season or folded, but instead they go on this run and and you're right, I think it speaks to the commitment of the athletic department and speaks to, you know, their their willingness to continue to support the program and everything. And and obviously the from the fan perspective, absolutely, the fans definitely showed up. And I think that that kind of thing can certainly carry you positively into the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think beyond that, you know, besides just the the support and everything, I think you look at just from a team aspect, this can be a launching pad into next season. Um, yeah. we, we've talked a lot about the different men's comparisons, like how last year it was Xavier beating A&M in the NIT Finals. Xavier now a Sweet 16 team. They got a three seed. Texas A&M gets seven. Uh, there's a Wichita State team that won the NIT. The next year they got a five seed. The next year they made the Final Fours and nine seed. And we can go on and on about some of those comparisons. But I wanted to go back and, and look more at some of the women's comparisons. Specifically, we, we had Brandon Schneider on last week, and he mentioned the Arizona one. So I, what I wanted to do, I wanted to go back, and then this will be just some of the recent ones. Um, I didn't necessarily look at, you know, I, I did look at all of them, but uh, just specifically, I want to talk about the Power Five ones um, yeah. because there there's some recent WNIT winners like Drexel won in 2013, which sometimes that happens for a non-Power Five team where it's just it's their convergence of all their seniors, yeah. and that it's it's tougher for a school like that to you know bounce back the next season. You did have some examples though of even those programs, um, really, I guess. I don't know, exploding a little bit after that. South Dakota in 2016 won it. Then they went to uh, like two more NITs, and then they won, went to three NCAA tournaments since 2019. Uh, Rice made it in 2021. They didn't do anything in 2022. But South Dakota State won it in 2022, and they got a nine seed this year and won their first round game to make the second round. So uh, those are some of the non, non-Power non 5 ones. But as far as the, the Power Conference ones, so the last one who won it from a Power Conference was Arizona in 2019. The next tournament they were in was the 2021 because the 2020 was canceled and they were the NCAA runner-up. So immediately you saw that impact. Now, yeah. you might be saying, okay, but there is another year in there of development, and that is true. But I will say that 2020 Arizona team where the tournament got canceled – that team was ranked 12th at the end of the season. They were 24-7. and seven. So, like, clearly they took a big step up into the next year. And they've also seen, because this isn't just about how your team does the very next year, where I do think there is a correlation. I think more than anything, though, this is usually a, a kickoff point for a nice little run of yeah. play. Sustain, sustain Exactly. Like, since that NCAA runner-up, they've made the tournament and made the second round the last two seasons, too. That was 2018. Indiana wins the women's NIT. And the next season, they made the tournament as a 10 seed. They won their first round game, so they made the second round of the tournament. But starting with 2019, they have made the last four NCAA tournaments, and they won a tournament game in the last three. 
They have a 2021 Elite Eight, a 2022 Sweet 16, and they were co-Big Ten champions this season. And obviously they were a one seed this year and before they got up, upended by Miami. So yeah. a, a, a big jump, right. <laughs> certainly, to, right. to a one seed. They've had a big arrow trending up. Yeah. Uh, 2017, Michigan won the WNIT. 2018, they got a seven seed in the NCAA tournament, so made it to the tournament, made it to the second round, won their first round game, and they have now made five straight NCAA tournaments. They made the second round in all five of them. They also have a Sweet 16 in 2021 and an Elite Eight in 2022. So clearly, they have had a nice success in the program since winning the women's NIT. 2015, UCLA won the women's NIT. Next season, they got a three seed in the NCAA tournament. They made the Sweet 16. And that actually started a stretch for UCLA where they made Sweet 16s in 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. So, worked out pretty well for them. Yeah. Uh, Rutgers won it in 2014. They made the tournament in 2015 as an eight seed. They won their first round game, made the second round. Oklahoma State won it in 2012. They made it as a seven seed in 2013, won their first round game, made the second round, and that started a run for them of four straight NCAA tournaments, including a Sweet 16 in 2014. Yeah, and, and for some of the some of these that jump out at me are the ones that make the jump up to where they are a high enough seed to be able to host, right? That was one of the goals, actually, that Brandon Snyder talked to us about to start the season was to get in a position where you have a high enough seed where you can actually host some early round games. And you look at a team like UCLA, right, getting a three seed the next year. I think a three seed is good enough to host, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the top, right, if you're... I thought it was top four. Yeah, so if you're one, two, or three, or four, yeah. you get to host at least one game, I think. So, yeah, so if you're in that range, you get to host, right? And that, to me, that that's the one that jumps out to me the most is is making those big jumps. Mm-hmm. And and for Kansas, you know, they've, they've got some seniors on their roster, but Brandon Snyder, after the game, said he... Expects maybe some of them to come back, like Tana Jackson, Zakaya Franklin, and and uh, Kirk Skeeter, I think, was the other one. So there there could be a lot to like about this team going into next season. And, and yeah, I think that speaks that speaks volumes to it, right? And, and it's one of those things where when you're winning, that can just boost everything, right? It can boost confidence, can boost morale, can boost uh, your, your level of play, everything, right, when you're having success. And even, even if it's at the, WNI, at the NIT level, not quite at the NCAA tournament level, there's no question that that can correlate, especially if you're a Power 5 team that that has a athletic department that's behind your program, that has uh, a coach now in Brandon Snyder that is really a, a veteran coach for Kansas. He's been around for a while. Now they're positioned to sort of leapfrog a little bit and maybe make the jump that they were hoping to make this year, but in kind of a weird cyclical way, they've put themselves in a position now where it might even be easier for them to make the jump next year after winning this and having that momentum and having that the, the positive energy around the program. Yeah, and uh, you know when, when I look at this trend here, so that basically means the last what six, one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, six uh, power champion whatever team, whatever power conference teams who won the women's NIT um, in their next NCAA tournament, most of them did make a jump to being in the tournament and winning one game, but lost in the second round. And that's what makes, I think, this interesting for Kansas, though, because for them next season, if they go to the NCAA tournament and they lose in the second round, yes, it would be an improvement in theory based on on where they were this year. But that's what they did in 2021. But exactly, with, with the same, and it's, it's the same class of players. So would it really be, it would almost be like lateral movement from where the class was two years ago, which you would expect more growth, which makes this that, you know, you almost are looking for that UCLA type season from 2015 to 2016, or that Arizona season from 2019 to to what could have been in 2020, and and then maybe even 2021. Um, but overall, I think to me, what this really signals is 
yes, of course, if you win the NIT, like, that can be those extra practices, those extra game reps, the extra, like you said, confidence and things that you gather from it can help you next season. But where I really see it having the biggest impact is when you go through all those, like Oklahoma State after winning the WNIT, four straight NCAA tournaments. UCLA made four straight Sweet 16s after they won it. Michigan's made the last five tournaments and made a couple second weekends. Yep. Indiana has made every tournament since they won it, and they have a couple second weekends in, in that one seed this year. Arizona's made the tournament every— So, like, it's it's the long-term success it allows yep. you for. And, and I think overall that's the real impact to me. It's the long-term success of the program for years to come. But I think that also is in juxtaposition to where KU is at as a program because I wonder— how many of those teams who won the WNIT if they were filled with players who were freshmen and sophomore, whereas for this Kansas team, it almost feels like next season is that kind of last ride with this group of players. You know what I mean? Yeah, if they all come back, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But at the same point in time, if these extra reps and practices help the players who maybe weren't playing as much this year or maybe help the players who were in the rotation but they weren't starters or they were just role players or you know, they, they were starters, but they weren't asked to uh, to have as much usage as your high-end players like your Holly Kerskeeters and Zakiya Franklins and Tyana Jacksons. And if those players, those extra reps, it it adds to their progression and makes it so that by the time, you know, those key players now graduate, they're now more ready than they would have been. That's where the long-term success of the program comes in. Yeah, and I think something like this, too, could benefit recruiting. Right, so maybe it is you have your seniors coming back next year, but if that allows you to recruit some better players, or, or get some players interested in Kansas, right? Seeing Allen Fieldhouse filled up for for a, a big time game, seeing seeing the the energy around the program, maybe that lets you, maybe that that's the edge that you get recruiting wise over over some other schools, and then all of a sudden you do have those those players that you can bring in and, and continue to grow because right, the big takeaway there is sustained success, right? You don't want you don't want this to be you don't want it to be, oh, you win the WNIT, and let's say next year Kansas does make that big step. They go to the Sweet 16, but then all their seniors leave, and they're kind of back down to maybe trying to battle just to make the tournament, right? You want you don't you don't want that to be the case. You want it no. to be sustained sustained success. Yes. And if you can increase your recruiting off of something like this, uh, around everything you've got going on with the program, like that could maybe help it to where you are in a position to capitalize long term on something like this, to where. Instead of it, instead of just hoping you make a tournament, the expectation is you're there every year. Yeah, and I think uh, you know when you do look at what they could bring back next year, it's pretty impressive. I mean, they can bring back the entire roster if they want to, or yeah. if everybody abides by it. Uh, Tiana Jackson, Holly Kerskeeter, Zakai Franklin, Chisholm Ajekwu, they're all seniors, but they all have a COVID year that they could come back. And specifically with those top three, Jackson and Franklin were first-team All-Big 12 this past year. Kerr Skeeter was first-team All-Big 12 the last year. Doesn't mean they're all going to come back. You know, maybe you know one or two of them decides they want to graduate or move on or whatever. But I, I don't know. I think the expectation is that certainly uh, yeah. those starters come back. So yeah, after the, after the game, he said he, he Brandon Snyder said he expects Holly Kirk Skeeter, Tyana Jackson, and Sky Franklin to potentially be back. Yeah. and then you, But you, obviously that's not official or anything. It's just he... No expects maybe that's no I, I think they're probably having their like exit interviews and stuff this week to where that's yeah. gonna all get settled uh and then you have two years left possibly like Chandler Prater is technically gonna be like a fifth year junior next season because she uh she, she took a, a red shirt season she had a COVID year I mean she's uh, it, it's crazy there why Mayberry yeah, can, like can the, have two more years like left Jalen Wilson situation yeah 
Iowana Hotsi Leonti has two years left. I don't know. Maybe she'll get a medical redshirt this year and it'll be three. Sana Strom has two years left. Nadira El Tayeb. These are all like Prater and Mayberry are starters. Hotsi Leone, when she's healthy, is a starter. Strom and El Tayeb were key rotation players. They could have two years left. Uh, Telegdi has three years left. She was a key rotation player. And then it's your players, you know, like Vuksic, Jessen, Papadopoulou, Oakley. Um, obviously, you don't know who you're going to retain with the transfer portal and stuff, but uh, all those players, just the extra reps in practice, that's what I'm talking about to where, you know, next year you should be really good off this run with Tyana Jackson and Kurskeeter and Franklin back for yet another year. But in two years, what does it look like to what you just said, to where you don't fall back from being okay, we, we capitalized next year, we made the tournament, now we're not in the tournament. No, stay in that range, and you look at some of those so those players that you just expect to make a jump and over the course of being in a program for a long period of time, yeah. that's where these extra practices and extra games help because you know if you are a player who's not getting in every game and you're not getting in um, meaningful minutes during games, where are you going to make your most progression? It's in practice. So guess what? If you're playing six extra games at the end of the season and you're playing three extra weeks of basketball, yeah. that means you have a lot of extra practices for I mean, you yeah, to get better. It's the exact same discussion we had uh, with, with KU football making their first bowl game, right? Being able to have that extra time with the team, have that extra time of preparation with, with your team, and then obviously playing the game itself, or the in this case the games, right? Like, like we've heard from this, some of the KU guys football in spring where saying, hey, you know, that made a huge difference because it wasn't like we had this really long gap between the end of the season and spring football. It was shorter and we were still sort of in that mode of, right? Like that stuff makes a difference. That stuff definitely makes a difference. And for KU for women on the women's side, yeah, that can make a huge difference. Yeah. And so I I mean, we'll be interested to see what what happens in the offseason. Samaya Nichols, five-star recruit coming in, that adds uh, some nice punch to an already good returning roster. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Laia Conessa, I uh, probably pronounced that wrong, but she's a guard from Spain uh, coming in too. So that's interesting because you can bring back all 13 of your players, but uh, you're bringing in two players. I I don't know if that means somebody's going to graduate, if somebody's going to transfer out. I don't know if multiple players transfer out and they end up, you know, last year they brought in Yvette Mayberry, which ended up being a a solid addition for them from the portal, if maybe they go for that. But I do think it'll be probably more of a muted offseason than like the men's where it is like total influx of, of players. But I think to wrap this all up, this WNIT victory, it should be a launching pad for next season's team. Like, yeah. I expect this to be a tournament team next year. Yeah. I expect this to be a top 25 team next year. Uh, but I think the real launching pad part of this will be for two and three years down the road when you have, you know, Wyvette Mayberry in year two or Sana Strom in another year, Telegdi, who are even bigger role players and can use some of these experiences as big starting points for their career. And, and I just, I, I have a good feeling that this program is headed in the right direction and that we're going to get used to seeing maybe some deeper runs in March for the women's team. And boy, would that be fun, especially if you watch some of the uh, women's Final Four action over the weekend, how fun some of those games were. All right, we're going to take a timeout, recap some of the Final Four, then we'll get to David Lesky in about 15 minutes. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. David Lesky will join in about 10 minutes here. Um, there is not a more perfect transfer in the portal. I, I know Hunter Dickinson entered last, like, that would be huge. LJ Cryer just entered the portal from Baylor. That I mean... I, I don't necessarily expect it to happen. It, it, it's weird when you see guys transferring in conference, albeit we saw it with Kevin Kohler to Kansas. We saw it with Tyrese Hunter to, to Bryce, Texas. And right? Bryce Thompson. But it feels different when it's like... What feels different to you about this? It, it feels different that, A, Scott Drew always craps on Kansas. Okay, all the more reason to, you know... 
I know, but I just mean like if you've been in that program for three, four years, whatever it's been for LJ Cryer, I, I wonder if that gets to you. You well, know what, what I mean? What about what about Kansas State with Jerome Tang? I, I guess that could make some sense. I don't know, but what if I is it, what what is the reason he's transferring? You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, what I don't know that? why. Does he not like the program? Maybe, Maybe he doesn't it does like, make it more yeah, like no, Kansas. I don't 100%. know. Percent. No, I agree. But just from a, a standpoint of like, what does Kansas need? They need guys who can hit shots. They need guys who can create their shots. Oh, LJ Cryer. What? Hello. Yes. As a two guard next to Dewan. Right. Bang. I mean, that would be the most ideal transfer portal pickup they could get. Bang! Like I said, I don't necessarily know that I expect it, but, like, <laughs> eggs all in the basket. Yeah, the transfer portal stuff is tough because, like, you see a guy go in and you're like, wow, this dude's definitely coming, like, going there or whatever. Yeah. And then it's like, you don't know, you don't even know, you know. Yeah. Uh, so the Final Four happened on Saturday. Uh, we can spend very little time on the UConn game. They're just very good. UConn's good. Yeah. yeah. It It is a little bit of a reminder that, like, hey, centers do still matter. I, I know we've talked a lot about that. You can't just have good centers. Yeah. Hello, Kentucky. Hello, Purdue. But like, if you have them and you have the good guards, then they become a problem. You, you, you're good. Yes. yes. Um, so that was that game. I mean, Miami for a bit in the first half is like, okay, this could be a game. But yeah, that's I problem. do, I do think it's interesting when you think about UConn's last two games. They played the number one offense and what the number four I think offense. They were number four, five. Yeah. Uh, and Gonzaga put up fifty four. Miami put up fifty nine. They're pretty so, good. I, I don't know. Defense. So I don't know. You know. I will say Miami missed to, like every shot that they were making on their run to this point. I don't know yeah. what was up with that. So, they, may, they maybe, so many shots. maybe the strategy to try to beat UConn is to turn it into a defensive game because clearly you're not going to be able to score. It helps very for much, San Diego State, which, right? Exactly. Then you look at San Diego State and okay, say okay, maybe they have a chance. Yeah. Uh, so I, the San Diego State game was was by far the better game. Yeah. I felt like I felt like FAU was in control the entire game. I felt like I, I walked away from that game going FAU is the better team here. But San Diego State just somehow snuck one out at yes. the end. Yeah, that was, no, that I, was, I think FAU was is game. legitimately very good. I do I too. Mean, I, yeah. thought, I thought against Kansas State when they had gold on the floor, I thought they were the better team then too. So I they mean, they, they have they clearly have players. Like that's the thing. I mean, like the I, I guess the Memphis game was the most like up in the air. But like uh, sixteen seed, fairly Dickinson, like you expect it. Um, the Tennessee game, they, they were the better team. Yep. K State came, like you said, with Golden on the floor. They looked like the better team against San Diego State. Looked like yep. a better team. And yep. I know that's not the the murderer's row of a path. I mean, it's a, it's a four and a three seed and a five seed in there, so it's not like easy. But yep. um, it's not you know taking down a bunch of ones and two seeds. But like yeah, they're they're a good team. San Diego State just kind of. It's weird because when when they got down fourteen, it was I was I was like, well, they're they're done. They're not the type of team that comes back from fourteen. <laughs> but they they came back in a way that was not like flashy. No, it was like it wasn't like every oh they're making a big the comeback. Yeah. Oh, they're making a big comeback. Yeah, it was miss every free throw and get the offensive rebound. It was make some Which, stops hey, on the that's defense. That's not going to work against UConn. No, it is not because UConn's going to get all the rebounds. Yes, but you do wonder for UConn who has won all these games by such a large margin. If San Diego State can be pesky, if they can hang around in the game and yep. just annoy them and well, make it okay. something they're not used to. The I other thought I have here is, you know, UConn has not been, like, challenged really at no, all. No, no. Right? So if this is a close game late, how's UConn going to react to that? Well, meanwhile, San Diego moment? State, they, they've stepped up in all yeah, their Yeah, they just hit a buzzer right? beater, the first buzzer beater since uh, – since Suggs for Gonzaga. Yeah, they hit the the, the late free throw against Creighton. Alabama yep. game was what a two point game with like forty seconds. Yep, something like that. Um, so so they've come out just in a in a microcosm of the tournament. They've been tested. Well, UConn has been UConn's been shutting it down 
like 10 minutes left in the game for most of their games. Dan Hurley on an interview with like the the, the guys on CBS or TNT, TBS, whichever channel the game was on at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was, I think, during the Elite Eight. Was talking about, well, what went wrong during that stretch when you guys lost all those games in January? And one of the things he said was, I was talking too much to the refs. I was not focusing enough on the game. I was I was causing a problem. I was getting technicals, costing our team points, all that stuff. You know, he's done a good job of avoiding that stuff in this tournament, but now you're playing the most physical team out there, and San Diego State is going to be bumping you, and if the refs aren't calling it, what if he goes back to that form, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I actually think tonight could be a good game, but I'm also worried so too. because uh, the last time UConn was in a national title game in Houston, it was the worst national title game I have ever seen. It was that UConn-Butler game that finished like 53-41, to 41, <laughs> and I hope that that does not happen tonight. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Lesky of Inside the Crown going to talk Royals with us next. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. And we're joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Talk a little Royals baseball. It was not the uh, best opening weekend for the Royals going 0-3. Not scoring in their first two games. They did score in the third game, but they unfortunately lost seven to four. Um, I, I know some of the maybe some of the underlying metrics, the the hard hit rates, stuff like that, says that you know it was actually pretty okay weekend for the Royals through the first three games. But uh, right now, uh, I, I don't know. Is it crazy to think do the Royals have the worst offense in the MLB? I, is that too much? Yeah. I mean, they they don't. I, I think that well, they do right now. Yeah. Technically, well, actually, no. The Tigers have one fewer run, so <laughs> um, no. The Tigers technically have the worst, but um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the numbers; they're tops in baseball on hard hit rate. That drops some a good chunk with runners in scoring position. So there's some sequencing issues, but they're they're third in baseball on walk rate. Um, coming into today, I'm not. There's a couple games going on, so that could that could have shifted a little bit, but. Um, you know, generally speaking, and, and there's way more to it, but generally speaking, if you are working walks and hitting the ball hard, you're scoring runs. And they worked walks, they hit the ball hard, and they didn't score runs. So, yeah, it feels like something that'll turn around. Um, the, the concern, of course, is that they will start to press, or it was fluky that they were hitting the ball. I don't know. But I, I feel like I'm not saying they're going to be a top five offense or anything. Um, like the metrics might show, although. They're not barreling up balls, which is a part of the problem as well. But I mean, they're they're going to score some runs. They they are not going to have <laughs> a lot of four runs in three game series. I don't think. I think this was bad timing, kind of a fluke, um, bad sequencing, all that stuff. But it was it wasn't fun. I mean, it didn't didn't make for a good weekend. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, to your point, we we saw some frustration from some of the younger guys hitting wise. Uh, specifically, Vinny Pasquantino comes to my mind. Uh, does does that concern you at all to see guys maybe getting up getting upset like that just two three games into this season? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I think you know we tend to put too much importance on the first games of the season. I, I they're human; they see it too. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that. It's nice to walk up to the plate and not see 100 or 133 or zero as your batting average. And the longer that goes, I mean, again, they're human beings. There's a mental aspect to the game. I don't, I don't think you worry about it if it's 
gosh, I don't know, Salvador Perez, who started off well um, because he's been in the league for what, this is 13 season. Geez, yeah, it is. Um, but um, you yeah, know, Benny Pascantino had 298 plate appearances coming into Thursday. <laughs> Bobby Wood Jr. had 600 something. MJ Moniz was 500 something. This is not a group with a track record. As as strong as their pedigree is, they haven't done it over the course of you know more than weeks here and there, basically. So it's a little bit concerning. You don't you don't want to see them fall prey to the scoreboard looking and and I mean we've seen guys have bad seasons, Royals and not Royals, because they started off slow and completely changed their approach. Eric Hosmer. Is, is the one I think about all the time. His 2012 season, he started off the year just scorching the ball. I mean, he was he was doing everything right and couldn't buy a hit. And he changed his approach and honestly never found it again. Never found it. I mean, he had uh, he, he's had a successful career. Um, but, I mean, this is players all the time it happens to. And you, you, just, you just hope it doesn't happen to these guys. I don't, I don't anticipate it will because more guys, it doesn't, it, more guys avoid it than don't, but it doesn't mean it's not concerning. I think in the the same way that they give out, you know, MVP and gold gloves and all these awards at the end of the season, they should have a a unluckiest player. Maybe it'd be that I, I like it better this way. The the player that got most screwed during the season and, and to the notion <laughs> about the, the hard Where does hit, that fit on the award, by the way? Yeah, exactly. The player that gets most Exactly. <laughs> I have as many words and, and jumbled up on there as possible. But like to that notion of, of the guys that did hit, you know, these hard hit balls or maybe got a little bit unlucky with where the defense was lined up or something. Uh who would win that award right now for the Royals? Uh if, I don't know, whatever, whichever one you want to call it, the unluckiest player, the, the most screwed player, whoever, who, who would be that guy for the Royals after the first three games? That's a good question. I feel like I, mean, I haven't looked because it's, it's one of those things that you're, you, you know, it's, it's so, the sample is so small that yeah, yeah it, it can, it can shift in, in a moment. Like what Vinny Pesci is one for 10, I think is, is his line. And if he, um, so if he goes three for four tonight, he's suddenly hitting 286. Um, so it's not terribly concerning, but I, I feel like Bobby Witt is the one who's hit the ball the hardest. Um, I'm wrong here. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, his hard hit rate is 71.4% and he doesn't have a hit. Uh, I mean, that's, he, he's hit seven, he's got seven bad balls and five of them are hit hard. That's not what you typically associate with a zero average. So, you know, it's, it's tough to, I don't know. I, I, I think he's the guy, um, probably. Vinny Pascantino's had a rough go of it. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's Bobby Witt, though. And overall, uh, I guess besides the fact that even though the offense didn't look good, it, it, there might be some numbers there to expect uh, better numbers moving forward. Uh, what was your biggest positive takeaway, whether it was Player-related, team-related, from the opening series. Um, I, I I think the pitching in general. Now, yesterday they Dylan Coleman got lit up a little bit, um, and he he's concerning to me. Um, velocity's down. He's walking guys all spring. Same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in Omaha <laughs> pretty soon, but. Outside of him, I thought the pitching looked pretty solid. I mean, they, they escaped some jams that they may not escape later, specifically Grinky and Jordan Lyles. Um, but 
And rolled as Chapman hitting 103, 102.5 technically. But, you know, we round up here because we're, we're, we're givers. <laughs> um, Taylor Clark striking out this side. Jose Quas looked really good. You know, they, they've had, um, had some really nice relief appearances. Uh, I, I also thought Brad Keller, he ran into a wall 100%. He admitted it, um, which is, Sort of concerning that he runs into a wall before he gets to 90 pitches. Um, but also, it's the first start of the year. But before that, he had six strikeouts and one walk in four and two-thirds innings. Um, then he walked three in a row, and that was rough. But that curveball, he threw the, – the it was in today's newsletter. He threw one, I think it was to um, Jose Miranda, that I'd never seen a curve move the way it did. It, it, was, it was headed you – know, Miranda's a right-handed hitter, and it was headed to – break the way curveballs break down toward the left-handed batter's box. And it just turned and came inside on him. And it, it, it led to the ugliest swing I you see, basically. That was filth. His new breaking balls look really good. And, you know, I, I think in general you, you have to be happy with giving up, what was it, 11 runs? 10 earned, I guess, over three games? I You, you have to feel good about that. That turns offense is not – bad <laughs> that's a pretty solid solid unit there so feel good about that they, they face a big test this week with the blue jays blue jays can hit they up and down the lineup they can hit so we'll see how it goes but i i the pitching was the biggest takeaway for me it was much better than i expected yeah i'm glad you brought up brad keller because that curveball that you alluded to that was his most thrown pitch right and it's his new pitch so yeah. i guess what do you make of that the fact that a new pitch that he's incorporated in in his first start, it was the th- he's the one he threw the most. Um, he's still with it, you know. I, I think that I think about a guy like Brady Singer who starts tonight and the changeup, and you know all the conversations we've had about it. Oh, I don't feel confident. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Brad Keller first start. You know, he has a whole offseason to work on it. So it's not like it was. I picked it up on 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 Saturday and threw it on Sunday or you know whatever. But um, he he was. He fell in love with it, and it should have. It was a really good pitch. Um, I, I was, I was surprised by how much he threw it. I, I kind of thought he was going to rely on that new sweeper a little bit more, but um, it was a curve, and he threw a sweeper, and he also threw his old fighter. And I, and I think, I don't know. I, I think he's put himself in a position where he can get outs without them hitting the ball. Um, and even, even that first run he allowed. I thought that slider was really good. Brian Jeffers just beat it. I mean, it was, it was a pitch that no hitter should be hitting, and he just tapped it to the right side and got through. It, it, that's one of those things that if they're scoring runs, yeah, it happens. When they're not, you go, well, here we go again. Um, but I think I think Keller was just comfortable with his pitches, and he, he had his issues, obviously, with those three walks at the end. But this was the first time since... I don't even know when, 2020, maybe, maybe, maybe early last season, he was pitching pretty well. But even then I was kind of like, I don't know that it's going to continue. Um, this is the first time in a while that I feel like, Hey, I can, I can see how this works for Brad Keller. And that's, that's, that's a good feeling to have because he, he was a kind of starting rotation pillar for a while and then fell off. And now, now I can at least see it again. We're talking with David Lesky of inside the crown here on rock chalk sports talk. It was a different style of baseball almost a little bit um, to a certain sense over the first week all around the majors with uh, the increased numbers of steals, the 
increased or I guess decreased times of games with games just running a lot faster. Uh, what stood out to you the most about the new rules with the first weekend of action of Royals baseball? Uh, probably the pitch clock. I, I think that, that that's the one that was I, I think that was the best part of it all. Um, I, I will say the shift restrictions and everybody says the shift is banned. The shift isn't banned. It's just restricted. There are ways you can get around it, and the Royals tried it. <laughs> that, the way they set up on Joey Gallo, I thought, was fascinating. Um, we'd heard ever since the rule was going to change, that, oh, teams are going to bring their left fielder over and play, the, play him in front where the second baseman used to play. The Royals didn't do that. The Royals kind of, I mean, it wasn't that different, but the Royals set up uh, first two games in Jimmy Melendez, and then yesterday Jackie Bradley Jr., in the old second base position where he was in short right field. And it would have worked if Melendez didn't bobble that ball. I thought that was interesting. But ultimately, it's the pitch clock because, I mean, what, what was the longest game this week for the Royals? 236, something like that? Um, I mean, I, I know Saturday's game was a 310 start, and I was there, and I got home before it would have been the three-hour mark. And I stayed for the whole game. Um, and I don't, I mean, I, I live 25 ish minutes from the stadium. So it was, it was, it was kind of refreshing and I don't feel like I missed out on any baseball at all. I just cut down on the time that there wasn't baseball. So I really enjoyed that. Well, the Blue Jays are the series now for the Royals starting with their game today. Then they'll uh, go on the road to take on the San Francisco Giants. Uh, what sticks out to you this week about both these matchups um, and, I don't know, a, a predicted record maybe for this week for the Royals? Well, I think the big thing for this week is the Blue Jays, like I said, they can hit. Um, they didn't hit any home runs, actually, in St. Louis, which was kind of surprising because they, they've got some power. But, I mean, you look at their lineup. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman's off to a really nice start. Kevin Kiermaier is there for his defense, but he's four for nine, five for ten, something like that. Um, George Springer is obviously good. I mean, they, they, they can hit. So it's going to be a big test for the pitching staff. They also, they're a lot more well-rounded now. They can play defense. Um, their starting rotation, I think, is really interesting. The Royals are going to get, obviously, the back end of it because it's games four and five. But Jose Barrios is their number four starter. And, yeah, he had a bad year last year, but he was – a legitimate number two starter for a long, for not a long time, for a while on the Twins. So um, that's a that's an, a, a really well-rounded team. I think it's a big test for them. And then the Giants, who I don't, I don't know, I can't tell if they're good or not. Um, but I, I think I saw they're really putting it to their White Sox today. So <laughs> maybe they are. Um, and at home, it'll be their home opener. That's that's a that's kind of a test too. So. A record, I think they need to go, I don't know, four and three would be, I mean, obviously seven would be ideal, but if they're, I mean, if they go two and five, they're two and eight yeah. after 10 games. That, that's, a, that's a rough start. I think they've, I mean, three and seven isn't, isn't a lot better, but it's better. I think if they can take two, split the series with the Blue Jays, Take one in San Francisco. Um, where do they go next? Is that Texas after that? Um, undefeated. I think they, I think undefeated. Yeah, it is huh. Texas. Um, whew, that's a, <laughs> undefeated and 
big spending Texas, I guess we should say. That's, that's a tough start. And then, then they come home for Atlanta. I, it, it doesn't it doesn't slow down in April. They don't – I was looking at the schedule earlier. They don't face a quote-unquote bad team until May when they – I think – I can't remember if they go to Oakland or if Oakland comes here. But um, it's <laughs> – it, it doesn't end for them. They have a they have a they have an uphill battle, which would have been nice to get one. Um, yeah, it's going to be going to be a tough go for a little bit. They need to, need to turn some things around. But again, it, if some of those balls fall in on Saturday, they're one and two, and this is a totally different conversation. Yeah. Um, if but candy nuts, all that stuff. But um, I, I I think they'll generally be okay. Look, most people said what, 70, 75 wins, somewhere in there. Teams that win 70 to 75 games, they get swept sometimes. It happens. Just really bad timing. Yeah. Uh, okay, a little fact or fiction here. Carlos Hernandez will be an all-star closer at some point in his career. Uh, I mean, I, the odds are fiction just because that's hard to do. Um, but, boy, the stuff. I forgot about him. Yeah, he looked great. And he looked great in spring training. So, he could absolutely do it. I'll say fiction because, you know, I'm more likely to be right that way, but I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if it's fact. Uh, the Royals are going to get a strong haul at the trade deadline for Aroldis Chapman. Um, I mean, probably fiction just because relievers don't bring back that much anymore, but they're going to get something back for him. He, the way he looked, I was really surprised. Um, if he's throwing 100-plus, they're getting something back. Whit Merrifield gets booed tonight. I mean, fact. If it's over, if it's more booze than cheers, I'm gonna guess fiction. But I really don't know. I really don't know how that how that reception is gonna be. I'll be there. I'm really curious. Um, I think I think he'll get cheered more than booed, but I I'm not confident on that. Okay, and uh, last one. We'll, we'll continue with this. This is uh, what we did last season. Uh, your player of the week. Who would that be for the Royals? Anybody who watched all three. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Salvi. It's got to be yeah. Salvi. He played off. He, I mean, your other candidates are relievers, Eder Olivares or Matt Duffy. Um, Olivares played two games. Duffy played one. Salvi was consistent. He's, he's the guy. Okay. Well, he is David Lesky. You're going to want to subscribe to his Substack Inside the Crown. Check out all his work. Get everything emailed right to your inbox. Anything you want to tease that you have upcoming? I don't know yet. The, the great thing about the season, all off season, you, you you struggle for content. You're like, hey, what? Yeah. What can I look back on? What can I look forward to? Regular season, I get to react now, and it's like, yes, I'm writing later at night, but it's my, it's so much easier than having to come up. The Royals come up with things for me. That's the best part. <laughs> awesome. We'll stick around to it. Inside the Crown. David, appreciate the time, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Derek. All right. That's David Lesky, Inside the Crown, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, hour and a half to go. Case of the Mondays. Next. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How much does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. 
No, man. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. It's time for your case of the Mondays on your, yeah, you guessed it, Monday. First up, Iowa football. Oh, they could be on here a lot, honestly. They could. Um, I think we did have them on a lot during the season. <laughs> yeah. Because they were bad. Yeah. Well, it's not just, you know, it's one thing to be bad. It's one thing to lose games. And then they ended up being a bowl team and everything. It's another when you have, like, literally the worst offense in college football, which they, they had last year, <laughs> to where it's just horrible to watch. It, it, it's so horrible. Um, so now they're just taking strays because they did have the worst offense. And they had to deal with a lot of, like, Caitlin Clark was awesome to watch over the weekend yeah. with the women's Final Four. She took down undefeated South Carolina to put up these unbelievable numbers. And whenever she did something crazy or, like, anytime you saw, like, stats popping up, you would see jokes come around about how she's outscoring the Iowa offense. So the Iowa offense needs to like Caitlin Clark call plays, like all these things that um, it's just unnecessary stray bullets coming to Iowa football. <laughs> I don't think it's unnecessary at all. But you never want to be just the butt end of constant jokes, right? Especially if right. you can't score. So tough, yeah. But Caitlin Clark, phenomenal, right? And really incredible performance. Uh even into the title game, but yeah, I mean, I I can't blame them for taking shots at Iowa football. Listen, anytime you get a chance to make fun of Iowa, the Iowa offense, you got to do it. You got to do it. Um, Eddie Lampkin's offseason is having case of the Mondays. <laughs> so uh, a couple big notes of transfer from TCU. Now, we already knew Eddie Lampkin was going to be uh, in the transfer portal. This one's just kind of a side story, but I guess I'll just bring it up here anyway. Um I guess Mike Miles is going pro, so obviously they need uh, another guard in there, and that's a big loss for them. Uh, they're bringing on Jameer Nelson Jr., the son of, yes, Jameer Nelson. Wait, really? He, <laughs> I uh, hope you were kidding. I, I, I hope you are yeah. kidding. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's pretty good. He averaged like 20 a game at Delaware. You know, kind of smaller. I don't know how great he is on defense. He, um, not the most efficient scorer, but like he's a good player. He'll be good for them. Not as good as Mike Miles, but he's a good player. Uh, so Eddie Lampkin goes into the transfer portal, and he picked his school. He's going to go to Colorado, which okay, um, going to be kind of interesting. Uh, Colorado should be pretty good this next year. Kevin Flaherty, our friend of 24-7 Sports, he released with 24-7 Sports the way-too-early top 25 for next year. It had Colorado at number 25. That was oh. after this move. So, you know, yeah. they should be a solid team, tournament okay. team, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, but the problem for Eddie Lampkin and why he's on case of the Mondays here, and, and I don't mean to be mean when I say this. Like I'm not trying to. I, I guess I'll just, <laughs> I, don't, I just gotta rip the bandaid off here. Uh, Eddie Lampkin is not the most in shape person in the world, correct? He, he's thick for sure. Yes, some people have referred to him. I won't say who as Eddie Lumpkin because they say he is a lump. <laughs> a person may out themselves at any moment if they would like. They don't have Talk to. Talk about me. Yes. No. <laughs> well, okay. listen, it's close enough to his actual name. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> and to be clear, like Eddie Lampkin being out of shape for a basketball player, he's probably still in way better shape than listen, like I'm, me or I you. I don't have any room to discuss it because he could probably break me in exactly. half. He could break us in half. Like even though he's a bigger dude, like he still is playing basketball, a, you know, yes. a bunch every day. Like he's yes. still in good light. Right. Yes. So anyway, he's but he's a thick guy. Point being. Um, I wouldn't imagine he's someone who loves conditioning. 
I would not imagine that he's someone who does super well in conditioning drills. And now you're going to Boulder, Colorado, 5,000, 6,000 feet, whatever it is, above sea level. That does not seem like the smart decision. No, that is tough. I don't know if that was considered in the decision. I would consider it my decision. Just saying, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to be huffing and puffing all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah. He's a large man, though. He is. I I think he'll have a good season there. Listen, I just call it like I see it. If you're a big dude, I'm going to say, hey, you're a big dude. (laughs) There's no shame in that. No. If you're, if you're, if you're wide, you're wide. Well, I mean, it helps him. It helps him on the basketball court. Nobody can guard him. He's too big. If you're a double wide, own it. Rock that. Come on. Yeah. I guess that's that's not me. And even if I wanted it to be me, it never could because I'm just a smaller person. Yeah. You know, but. Own it. Yeah, exactly. No, I guess the, the counter to that is if Eddie Lampkin was, I don't know how tall he is, like 6'10", something like that, 6'11". Yeah, 6'10", uh, if, he was, if he was 6'11", 150 pounds, he wouldn't be nearly as good. He yeah. wouldn't be able to back guys I down. I can't even imagine what that would look like. So uh, I guess further reason, because this is going to you know, make it hard. I don't know. All right, I mean, I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> uh, UConn fans who have to work on Tuesday morning, they're having a case of the, I guess, does that make Dude. them have a case of the Tuesdays? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I've been trying to tell you okay. Tuesday's the worst day of the week And Tuesday's going to be the worst day of the week for UConn fans Especially if UConn loses But also, yes. 9.20 Eastern time tip for this game Okay, That is insane and I can guarantee you that this game is not going to tip at 9.20 Eastern You know what time it's going to tip? Like 9.39 Eastern After all the like, you know, introductions Yes, yes, yes. National anthem Yes there's oh, no tough. way it's tipping anywhere close to 920. You're probably right. It'll be like it'll be a little later than that. I'm telling then, you, I would bet money it's going to be like 937 Eastern Time tip. Well, I mean, if they end up winning the title, even if they're going to work the next day and you're having to wake up early, like I think you get over that. You know what Maybe, I mean? Maybe, yeah. Well, I think if you win the title at that point, you just don't go to work. Yeah, and also people who are there for the UConn game, they're not going to work tomorrow. You know yep, what I mean? Like they're true. traveling yeah, if you're back a fan, home. Actually, to in Houston to watch it, you're you're not you're not having a case of the money. But that sucks. These are man. people on the East Coast. That sucks. Imagine if the game goes to overtime, starts late, everything you said. Now listen, normally I'm just gonna roast East Coast into oblivion, but here this does kind of suck for them. Yeah, but but it's their own fault. They could just not be Eastern time, and then they wouldn't have this issue. Do you think it matters at all that uh, what's the I think it's circadian rhythms. Yeah, body rhythms. Yeah, body the, the body rhythms, the body clock. The, yeah. the same idea of like the the team who's jet lagged in, in the NFL, right? Yeah. If they have to travel, whatever, across the country. Yeah. Does that matter tonight? Because for San Diego State, this game for their body clock is 620 or whatever it ends up starting, 630. Uh, UConn is like 930. Wait, and they're no, not- for San Diego State, it's aren't they three hours behind Central Time? So no, they're three it- hours behind Eastern Time. Oh, okay, okay. So... For them, they're playing at a reasonable time, 6.30, when they'd be used to playing a game. No, I, For I, UConn, they're like, we never play games at 9.30 p.m. What if that matters? What if that no, messes up? It's no, like no, Tom no. Brady, how he's like, isn't he like 2 and like 10 or something in like Sunday night games or something in the last like three years? No, I don't think that applies. He goes to bed too early. He goes to bed to at 8 To me, PM. the only, listen, I, I am a big proponent of the body clock mattering and that how that affects games. But and this should, but this should no, be up your alley. No, 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 no. To me, the only time that it really matters is when you have a West Coast team traveling east and playing an early game on the East Coast. Because I don't think playing late, unless, you know, unless it, unless it's like, unless, unless you're like a, I guess maybe in the NBA, I don't know if they do this in the NBA, unless you're like the Celtics and you're going to, and you're going to go play Phoenix and the game in Phoenix isn't going to tip off until like nine o'clock. 
local time. Like eight <laughs> Same thing here. Right? No, it's not. No, because what I'm saying is like if let's say you're playing a game on the West Coast and the tip time in the West Coast is 8:30. Okay. That would make the tip time in the East Coast 11:30. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. That's so. I don't think it. I, I don't think how late it is matters. It only matters how early it is. That's when it matters. So it really only negatively affects West Coast teams. I think. Hmm. We'll see. I if, if I San Diego State wins, that's gonna that's, be my that's, reason. That's why. your narrative. Yeah, that's my narrative. Okay. I like uh, that. Also, Drake put two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on UConn to win by six to ten points. He also put a hundred thousand dollars on them to win by eleven or more. Wow. And Drake is not known for... He kind of puts the kibosh on this. He's known as a mush. Yes. So, are we guaranteed a close game now? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That is interesting, though. Okay. If if you you have that much money to bet, just, like, I don't know, go go, just go buy a car or do something else. (laughs) What are are we doing? Like, I don't know. Why? What's the point? What do you mean? He just... Gives him a little action on the game. Makes him feel like he has more fun watching the game. No, just just He's be normal. Scratching it now. Just buy a I don't know, buy another house. You think that's be normal be normal. Buy another house. <laughs> you don't see the irony there. That's more normal than that. He just wants a reason to get really into the game. He doesn't have a team to root for. Okay. I don't well, think can, this is really about the money. You for can him. do that. I mean, no, it's obviously not about the money. Because huh. if it was about the money, I don't think he would do it. But it's a big enough amount of money that he would be he wouldn't be like bankrupt or anything, but he would be pissed if he lost it. I mean, if you lose two hundred fifty or three hundred fifty thousand dollars, you're gonna be well, mad. Clearly he's not that pissed because he made two bets and one of them is guaranteed to lose. No, but I, I think the idea for, for any So clearly he just, wouldn't be that mad. You just want to be the, a winner. One general. of them is guaranteed to lose. I know. So he's guaranteed to lose odds. at least a hundred thousand dollars. No, but they're both plus odds. So if one of them hits, he's going to make money. I don't, okay. I don't know what you want me to tell you. Okay. I, don't, I don't know what you want from me. What do you want from me? Case of the Mondays. Officials. Yeah, it turns out that it's not just men's basketball officials that stink. It's all officials. So I didn't get to watch the women's national title uh, yesterday, but there was, I was there broadcasting was some, some softball games. There, um, was some rough, there was some rough ones. I went on Twitter afterwards, and everything on Twitter, I, I had to get off after like five minutes. Everything yeah. I saw was either complaining about the refs, yep. uh, complaining about sportsmanship, yep. or uh, talking about why the thing that Angel Reese did is actually okay. And I was just like, I, I don't need any of this conversation. Yeah, I think it is tough because the women's basketball tournament this season has, I think, certainly been in the biggest spotlight it's been in and maybe ever in terms of viewership. Uh, I think the, the their final four games had more viewership than you know, a lot of a lot of NBA games, uh, which is great. But then what's not great is when you get what happened yesterday, which is you have all this exposure, all this viewership, and yet nobody wants nobody's talking about the actual game. Instead, it's about the officials. Instead, it's about the and the off the court, on the court antics, whatever you whatever you think of that stuff, right? And and. That, that's what's sad about it, right? And it, and it just circles back to the theme of people don't watch sporting events to what, for what the officials are going to do. They don't watch sporting events for what the for the refs, okay? And yet, time and time again, no matter what the sporting event is, you see refs make end up forcing the discourse to be about them one way or another, which is frustrating because you had a you had a, an opportunity to showcase 
one of the best women's college basketball players ever in Kayla Clark and, and a really good team in LSU with one of the with one of the great college basketball coaches with Kim Mulkey. And instead, pretty much all those storylines got derailed by some combination of the officiating plus all the sportsmanship crap, right? And I don't even really care. I don't even really care what you think about the sportsmanship stuff. Like to, the thing about the thing that frustrates me most about that stuff is like, do people just act like all athletes are like the most nice people when they're on the field or on the court or whatever? No. I mean, are you kidding me? Dude, there's a reason why you don't have mics pointed at the field in the NBA, in the NFL. You don't want to hear what they're saying down there in the trenches. Okay? It, it, it's, not, it's not limited to one sport or one thing. That's just how it is. It's competitive nature. Yeah. So I don't really care what you think one way or the other, honestly. It's just how it is. Yeah, I, I I didn't really care about any of the discourse on that. As as far as the officiating thing, like I I, you know how we are about this. Like we're we're not yeah, really I mean, into we, the we, yeah, cost we cost you the we, game or that exactly. Stuff. We try not um, to we try not to you know. But I will say that officials have a tough job to right. do. But at the same time, like when it when it be the entire storyline of a national championship game becomes about that, it's it's tough to avoid. Yeah, it is, and I think that to me, it's less about the actual like calls that go into the game. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're mad about, oh, that should have been a shooting foul, or that shouldn't have been, or that should have been a block, that should have been a charge, whatever. Um, it's less about that. I think it's more about just the obvious stuff where it's like, you know, it is, it's, to me at least, it is understandable that sometimes block charge gets missed. Sometimes oh, yes. it, it, uh, a shooting foul or a block is going to get missed because it's hard. It's, it's a really fast-paced sport. Yes. Uh, you're not going to get everything right. It's, it's frustrating, though, when it's a technical that you go out of your way to call. Yeah. On somebody just throwing the ball behind them, yeah. you know, bouncing it behind them, or on Kim Mulkey literally pushing a ref and like fist throwing at her and not getting a technical versus the other. Like those are things that are such common sense. Yes. That those are what's I think frustrating. Did it affect Absolutely. the game? No. LSU Absolutely. whooped them. Okay. Uh Jalen Carter in four weeks might be having the case of the Mondays. So are you saying Jalen Carter four weeks from now? Might be, yes. <laughs> It's a very non-definitive version of this. So Jalen Carter is the NFL draft prospect from Georgia. At one point, people were talking about him possibly going first in the draft as, as long as if the Bears would have kept the pick, which they ended up not doing, uh, and that he could be the first non-quarterback taken in the draft. He might still end up being that because the talent is pretty undeniable. Uh, you talk to different scouts, and, and some people will tell you that on the Georgia team, because he was on Georgia this year and the started on the, the season before, both title teams. And on the season before, when they had like one of the best defenses ever and, you know, had all sorts of first round picks, whether it was uh, at the linebacker position or on the defense line. I mean, they had the number one pick in the draft last year was one of the defense linemen. And they will yeah. tell you that Jalen Carter was the best player on that team. So like this is a very talented kid. But what has happened since kind of the draft process began there was the reckless driving thing that led to a Georgia like football player and a, staff, I think it was right a, a staff, I forget the exact title, yeah. uh, dying in like a reckless driving thing where they were just, you know, really going fast. And I don't know, something happened that unfortunately led to the death of a couple people. And he was part of that. Um, that there have been some other off the field character question things and, um, work ethic type questions that have come then his the, way and the pro day happened. And he had the, yeah the pro day where it was uh the georgia pro day and there's video of him doing like some of the drills and he Didn't clearly work. is not like yeah. trying that hard um and now the latest story he is declining visits with any team not in the top 10 of the draft so he might still end up going top 10 the talent like i said is pretty undeniable 
But what happens now if because of those character questions, he does fall to say it's pick 11 in the draft. And now you're the team picking 11th and you go, well, I would love to take this guy, but he refused to visit with us. And now I have no more intel on him. What? Okay. Potentially dumb question. What is the reasoning behind not doing visits? I think he's basically saying here, like, we're going top 10 or bust. I I think he's basically saying, like, we are going to go top 10. And if you're going to take me, it's going to be in the top 10. So don't even bother visiting with me if you're not outside of it because it's a waste of both of our time. But again, this comes back to haunt him to which a circumstance to where that issue, those issues end up making him not a top 10 pick. And now the team's not in the top 10 are like, well, man, we already had character questions. He wouldn't even visit with us. Now he slides even further in the draft. Would it be that crazy if he was the... Do, every year there's a player who slides that you're not expecting. Do the Chiefs draft him at 31? <laughs> if he's there, yes. <laughs> I feel confident that that would happen. <laughs> I mean, the Chiefs have clearly been a team that has been like, hey, I know you have off-the-field issues, but um, as long as they didn't happen in our... Bill- like, if they happened when you were here, Kareem you're Hunt, you're yeah, done, you're right? You're done. You're done. But if if they happen on somebody they're, else's you know, watch, we're going to try to... Re- that's, yeah, yeah. That's is very open chance. to giving second chances. Correct. Yeah. So, yes, that, that would 100%. It's not like you would fall That's out, not going to happen, yeah. though. That's not going to happen. But, yes. hypothetically, yep, it could. Our last one, uh, not taking a weekend nap. Because if you haven't been taking weekend naps for whatever reason, you're about to get caught up this weekend. It is Masters Week. One of the best naps you can have is when you're watching golf on a Saturday or Sunday. You've gotten maybe your chores done. Uh, you've done maybe stuff outside, or you're just tired from whatever reason. You sit down, turn on a little Masters. Eyes get a little heavy. Fall asleep. He's there. Nap. Is there a better nap period than the Masters? Like, is there any event that you would nap more for or a better event to nap for than the Masters? No, maybe not. I mean, this point of the year, there's not like... like I'm talking about like overall, any event. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, because there's not... There's not other, like, action sports on where you can get away with napping during a golf tournament a lot easier, right? Um, And then if you're talking about which golf tournaments are the most watchable... Masters. Masters is at the top. So yeah, it probably is. Are you a nap guy? No, not really. I'm one of those people who if I take if I take a nap, I end up napping too long and then I'm sluggish the whole rest of the day after I take it. Yeah. That's why thing. I'm not a nap guy. Yeah, I'm not really Don't either. take naps. All right, that is Case of the Mondays. Uh, real quick, before we go to break, how about this one? Oklahoma's Jalen Hill will transfer 9.7 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, all Big 12 honorable mention. But if you remember, he is known for being a great defender. He's a wing. Kansas? Maybe. All right. He's Nick Springer. <laughs> My Derek favorite Johnson. thing is just saying any guy in the transfer <laughs> portal, Kansas. Uh, this is RCST. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We have our RCST trivia competition coming up in just a few weeks from right now. And uh, certainly that'll be a fun one. We're, we're still looking for some business sponsors to bring the action to you and get some uh, good prizes out there. So hopefully we can have some uh, good stuff as we have for you in some of the past years here. Uh, some KU football news to go over here. Tony Sands and Nick Reed will be inducted into the Ring of Honor this year. Very deserving for both those. Nick Reed was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year in the mid-2000s. Tony Sands, obviously a great running back tuxedo Tony. Uh, so that'll be exciting for when they have uh, both their jerseys retired or, or, I don't know, whatever it's called, uh, Numbers, name planted the in the raft- Ring of Honor, no, I guess. Yeah. yeah, not quite the rafters. It's just yeah, like I guess in it's the, not the rafters. In the Ring of Honor, whatever it is. Ring so. of Honor, that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I think I just Did said that, that as part of the news, oh, okay. too. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, we both messed that up. I, I, stupid. Jeez. Anyway. All right. Uh, NCAA Final Four happened. Let's overreact. What do we got on the docket? All right. First off, let me find it. Mm. Oh, here we go. All right. Yeah. You ready to overreact? Um, I am ready to mildly react. Do you feel like you're ready to overreact? Okay. Now I'm ready to overreact. Do you feel like you're ready? I'm ready. All right. First up. Good stalling. Caitlin Clark would be KU's best shooter. On the Ooh. men's team next season. No, not an overreaction. Dude, Kaylin Clark is so good. Um, she's so fun to watch, and, and everybody loves watching her. She's kind of like uh, the Steph Curry, I feel like. Uh, everybody was saying, oh, she's the yes. you know, LeBron of. But it's, no, no, like what she does, she's she is the Steph Curry. She takes these deep threes, she takes these step back threes. Yep. Average 28 points per game this season. Yep. Um, she's still going to have two more years of play because she has the COVID year, which that's crazy, by the way. But yeah, she shot um, for the season. 39% from three on nine and a half per attempts per game and 84% at the foul line. Good. So I, I guess, well, it is a bigger ball in the men's game. So she'd have to adjust to that. But like, you know, you look at the lineup next year for KU, you're like, well, Dewan Harris well, I don't is know a good set if shooter. If you saw the stat though, like in the NCAA tournament, her average three point range was like four feet beyond the arc. Like, That's that was incredible. her average of like what she was That's shooting. That's awesome. That's all, so that means for every one she was at the line, she was seven feet back, yes. basically, uh, to equal that out, or, or eight feet back, or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I don't. Th- I don't think that is an overreaction. <laughs> I guess Michael Jankovic, he's really good at shooting, but like as far as the rotation players right now, <laughs> uh, the players you have coming in, it's a bunch of freshmen who, you know, you never expect never them to come in and shoot really high unless it's like a Grady Dick type. Certainly guy. better than KJ Adams. Yeah. Certainly better than Ernest. Yeah. Zuby. Better than Zuby, certainly. I mean, Dewan maybe in like a DeJuan, set three-point yeah. shooting. But if you're adding in that Caitlin Clark's hitting him off movement and off the bounce, we haven't really yeah. seen that from Dewan. So, no, I don't think that is an overreaction. Yeah. Okay, bang. Heard here first. Mm-hmm. All right. Whoever scheduled the women's national championship game for 2.30 p.m. on a Sunday should be fired. Um, You know, probably a bit of an overreaction because I – like, I, I, should you really be fired and have your life, like, up – well, I don't for think, something like this, but should you be severely punished? Yes. I don't think two thirty on a Sunday is like that bad. Like, I just what's think bad about it. Okay, like for me, for instance, I was doing other stuff. I had you know well, work sure, related yeah, stuff. Fine, sure. And okay. I think for a lot of people, a lot of their Sundays is more so. Like I think to me, national championship games should be played in the evening or at night because okay. it gives you during the day to do your stuff. If you are working on the weekend or if you're doing a bunch of chores around the house, what if you're like. You know, mowing your lawn stuff and, you know, to do 2.30? Really? Yeah, it is a bit of a ho-hum start time, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like you know, oh, in your head, you just assume that this type of game would be at, like, 7, 7.30, or even, like, 6. Yeah. But, yeah, it is odd. All right, San Diego State, they should intentionally miss every second free throw tonight <laughs> so they can get the rebound in the title um, Gosh, I see. I love this overreaction, and I want to say yes just for the fun of it. But clearly, you just can't no. because of UConn. Yeah, because UConn. of Klingon and and Sunogo. I love that you stuck with it. That you're just calling him <laughs> Klingon for now. And I I hope that you keep that way. The rest. I hope he becomes like the greatest center of all time. <laughs> you can continually uh, continuously call him Klingon. Um, yeah. So there was that stretch in the second half where San Diego State just like kept missing free throws, but they kept getting the rebound. I think they had a. Yeah. Uh, 
It was it was seven offensive rebounds in a two-minute span. Yeah. Uh, that's just remarkable to do that. Like you said, though, yes, UConn has Sunogo, and they have Klingon. Now I'm saying it. Uh, Klingon um, at the center position to kind of take that up. And all their wings are, like, big and athletic dudes who get rebounds, too. Yeah. I mean, it's so not no, a knock against idea. FAU. Like, it's not like FAU is small. They no, just, they just were getting out rebounded. Yeah, not as big as UConn. Uh, so no, not a good idea. But honestly, in the FAU game, it actually was a good idea because if you're going to miss all your free throws, you're it's better off just shooting one. from the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right, Dusty May. He should be getting more heat for FAU's loss than he is. I think this is uh, totally fair. Um, so I I didn't really realize this in the mo- in the moment I was just kind of watching the game and enjoying and like oh no he missed and then like oh my goodness San Diego State hit the shot yeah and then it was pointed out to me by uh, one friend of the show Scott Chasen that like uh, think about it you could have if you were FAU because they they shot that ball with what like nine seconds left or something like that and it was a drive to the rim um if you make that shot even if you make it it's still a one possession game yes where San Diego State can go down and tie it yes. Obviously, they missed, and now that's the alternative. First of all, why would you not take a three? Because if you hit a three, it's game over, right? Yes. Well, Either see, way, I was watching the game with some friends, and they were suggesting, they were saying that San Diego State was in the wrong to play that straight up. That San Diego State should have fouled. Them out. Oh, no, they, they should have fouled. fouled. Okay, yeah, I mean, that, it was, that like, was part of it, too. There was like, what, five or six second differential? Between yeah, there was clock? like six and a half. I, I thought it was the right call because if you're San Diego State, like, I get it if you were Miami, where it's like my our defense is not good. We're yeah. all about offense. Yeah. San Diego State, that's what they've leaned on all year, their yeah. defense. Why yeah. would they not lean on it in the biggest moment of the game, right? They have yeah. one of the best defenses in the country. Um, and even if you, again, if you give up a two, you're still now one possession. Yeah. Now, um, that's but why yeah, if you're I, FAU there, yeah, you're right. Maybe you shoot a three, shoot, shoot for a three. Because for uh, again, like now, whether, I guess the if you go if you go for a two uh-huh. at that point, the worst thing that can happen is that you go to overtime. Right, but you could just say that like regardless of whether if you make your two or miss your two, either way, you need San Diego State to miss. Whereas if you hit well, the three, I mean, you don't care if San Diego State misses or makes it. Either way, you win, right? Sure, fine. Yeah. So I think that's that's the I reason. Mean, but that, like, you don't need them to miss. I mean, you need to miss, but like, if it's going to overtime, okay. I guess you just take your yeah. chances there. But then also to not wait till the very end, because think, I mean, when you look at that that play, the the Butler kid for San Diego State for a second, I thought it was going to be Missouri KU twenty twelve. I didn't think he was going to get the shot off because uh, he starts like backing yes. the guy down, then he twists yes. out, and it's like, does he realize how much time's on the clock? Yeah. If there's three less seconds, they take three less seconds to, to shoot the ball. Yeah. What if he doesn't get it off? Yeah. You know? No, there was there was definitely some real question of whether or not he was going to get it off. Absolutely. And for, for FAU to call a billion timeout, I mean, both teams were just calling timeout, timeout, timeout at the very end of the game and to not have that dude okay. figured out. I don't know. Speaking of speeding up the game, what do we got to do for not to have 10,000 timeouts in the last two minutes of game? I'd be cool with one of two rules or maybe even both rules. One, so in the NBA, they have the rule where it's, I forget the exact time. It's either two minutes or three minutes left. Once it hits that mark, you, all your timeouts go away except for two. So you can only have a max of two at that point. Or sure. we just have a rule where it's like you can't call back to back timeouts. Or why don't you just make it like the NFL or something where you, you only get, it, it, it doesn't carry over the whole game. So you get like a certain amount in, in each half? Yes. I mean, that'd be fine, too. Cut it in I, less. See, I also, though, but I mean, even if you have 
three each half, you still could end up with that situation. I would be fine if they were like, you can't have back-to-back timeouts. If you call timeout, they can't now call well, timeout. Okay, no, no, right? no. I disagree with that. Here's why. Why should you, your team, be pu- basically punished for not calling timeout first? Because that's basically what you're saying there. Like, if you, if one team calls timeout and then you say to the other team, well, this team called timeout, so now you can't. But, so then why is the second team being punished only because they didn't call timeout first? I guess I just don't see why it's a punishment. Both, it's not like... It is a punishment because, because how many times do we see teams call timeout, drop a play, and then the other team calls timeout because they saw what the other team was going to do. Yeah. So then they want to but adjust it's stupid to that. because then the other team changes their play again. So it, <laughs> it, defe- it, it defeats the purpose. It's so but dumb. I, no, I it still think it's a, I still think you're you're kind of screwing the second team in that scenario. But then aren't you screwing you should, the first team by you the have, second team calling if you the have saved, If you have saved your timeout, you should have a right to call it whenever you want. I, I think that's stupid. I think that's so stupid. If both teams are getting to use the timeout the same way. That is the most fair way of doing it, <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, Dusty May probably should get more heat. Overall, he had a really good season as a head coach, but wasn't a great late-game situation for him. Okay, so this season there were certainly some bracket busters, but I want to tell you who the real bracket buster was. Miami. So Miami insane. Hurricanes were the real bracket buster. Yeah, I mean, you could make an argument it was, what, fairly Dickinson. You could make an Princeton. argument that maybe even San Diego State. Yeah, Princeton was a good one. I think you are right. I don't think that's an overreaction, though, because Miami, think about it. They they took out – so, first of all, like – I mean, I don't know a single person who didn't have Houston or Texas coming out exactly. of the Midwest and they region. they took out both. And Miami beat both of them. And then on yeah. top of it, some people even had Indiana as a sleeper. Some people, like me, had Drake in the Sweet 16. They took out all these teams. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they were the, the ultimate bracket buster. Yeah. yeah, because, again, like I said, I, I didn't know anybody who didn't have either Houston or Texas. I mean – I agree. Nobody else was even – it didn't even feel like there was any other team in that region that had a chance. And then here comes Miami. All right. We kind of alluded to this earlier in the show, but centers, they're back in style. Just like, uh, I don't know, what's something from like the 80s or 90s that's back in style? Uh, hula hoops. Hula hoops. <laughs> centers, they're back in style. Yeah, I, I don't think this is an overreaction either. Um, now, with San Diego State, it's a little different. Their centers are more like defensive guys. Uh, the uh, guapa guap or whatever it is. Um, like He's just kind of a solid player. Mensa is an elite defender inside. He had a couple like big jump shots against FAU and then you look at UConn and their centers are just do it all but like Sonogo and Klingon have they have just completely dominated the tournament yeah it, it's tough because it's like oh Sonogo wore, wore us down okay finally he's on the bench and then this other guy comes out and honestly there are moments where I'm like Klingon's better than Sonogo he's 7-3 yeah. yes and he runs like a gazelle that dude's a beast so um, yeah they are kind of back in style uh, okay. that was the biggest difference for UConn over Miami this is an overreaction because of the fact that, as you just alluded to, UConn has two giant dudes. I mean, what if you paired Sheebway with Kling? It'd be the same thing, right? Like, if you have two, yeah, usually, so having two really tall, good centers is back in style. But centers as a whole, collectively, not necessarily back. Yeah, I'm good with that. And, and it goes back in line with if UConn has just a bunch of average guards, then the centers wouldn't matter as much. Yeah, but they have Hawkins. Right, they have Hawkins, who's going to be a first-round pick, who just drains every three. They have uh, the Caravan guy and the uh, Joey California or Joey Calcaterra, whatever, Calcaterra. coming off the bench, <laughs> uh, hit, just hitting threes Klingon for him from the outside. And California, <laughs> that's their team. The the double C's. That's their team. All right. Speaking of Klingon, 
He would have won National Player of the Year if he was Purdue center. Oh, I love this one. I am all in on Klingon. He's only one inch shorter than Zach Eady. That is weird to think about. He's way faster. What is the difference between 7'4 and 7'3? Truly. No, not really. Is is there much of a difference there? Why does Eady look so much bigger, though? Because he's wider. Is that what it is? Yeah, Klingon's more like thin. But but Klingon's so much faster and like bouncier. Um, I'm going to look up their weights. Hang on. I, I don't think this is an overreaction. I think if Klingon was in that system and he was the one go-to guy on a team that was pretty good, he would have ended up winning it. I think he would have put up a 20 and 10. And we'll see what happens with him because he could end up coming back to UConn next year and be the guy. Like, what if Sonogo goes pro? Yeah, dude. What if Klingon he just is, goes pro now? I Klingon think he'll be the first-round pick. 40 pounds lighter than Okay, Edie. so that's what it is. Edie, 7'4", 305. Klingon is actually listed at 7'2". Okay. 265. But still, not that big of a difference. So yeah. 40 pounds lighter. Dude, I, I'm all in on Klingon. I, but, I okay, yeah. Believer. I will say, you know, it's one of those things where, like, once you're over seven foot, you're it's all about the same. It's, it's all about exactly like once you're because think about it. Think think about think about the difference between like six. Think about the difference between what people think is like six eleven and seven foot. People think there's a big gap there, right? Not no. But then if but once you're once you earn the moniker of seven footer, you're just automatically like six inches taller than everybody else. It doesn't matter how how, how tall you I are. I think there's another line there, though, which is like the Yao Taco Fall line. When you're 7'6", oh, sure. that's another level. Yes. Okay, so... But yeah, 7'4 to 7'2". 7 7'5", like, yeah. all the same. <laughs> yes. Literally all the same. And anything else? Okay, last one. If San Diego State wins, Dan Haley would be the biggest tournament choker of all time. Um. Yeah, this is definitely an overreaction. What do you mean? Dude, Shaka Smart has lost eight of his last nine NCAA tournament games. But he's got a he's got a national championship literally on a silver platter. Okay, you're, you're This is the biggest spread of a title game in like 15 years. I don't think you can you're you're playing in the national championship game. It's not like you're going to be playing some like Matt Painter deserves biggest choker more than Dan Hurley would. <laughs> he lost to a 16 seed. UConn's playing in the yeah, title game. Yeah, but this is on a way bigger stage. But against a good team. San Diego State's a good team. Like, they're not, you know, top five, but top 15 team. No. That's the biggest, a big overreaction. Big overreaction. <laughs> that's it. All right. That is our uh, NCAA Final Four overreactions. We've got some uh, Bill, or no, not Bill Snyder. I'm sorry. Sean Snyder audio. The resemblance Boy, is so canny. What? <laughs> Sean Snyder audio. Brandon Schneider audio. Coming up next. This is RCST. Two hours down, half an hour to go. We'll be back after this time out on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.